Okay. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. I am Tia Maria Smith from PA Ken Connector, and today is the grand finale of our Kinship Month event. So this is our last Wisdom Wednesday session for 2021. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you are returning, well, a big welcome back. We're so happy that you're here with us today. At PA Ken Connector, it is our mission to link kinship families to the resources, information, support, and education they need. And we do this Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So before we get started with our meeting, I'd like to introduce you to the dedicated Ken Connector staff who will be available to you every month of the year. So let's start with Jill. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Jill Boblick, and I bring 24 years of experience in social work to our Kin Connector team. I'm excited to listen to today's expert panelists in an effort to gather the most up-to-date information on how we can empower and support our kinship caregivers. So thank you for spending your morning with us and welcome. Thank you, Jill. Alex. Hi, I'm Alex and I'm your bilingual Kin Connector. Um, I'm thoroughly excited and honored to be joined by so many other heroes in the kinship space today. And during the whole month, I've been advising people to call our warm line. But honestly, um, I really encourage you to get to know each professional and reach out to them because they are the best that PA has to offer. And we're just honored that they're joining us. Thank you, Alex. And finally, Candy. Hi, I'm Candy Ray. I'm the program coordinator for PA Can Connector. I have over 20 years of human uh, services uh, administration, and I'm also a kinship child raised by my grandmother. So I want to congratulate and uh, honor each um, caregiver out there who um, is stepping forward and being a hero in the child's uh, life that you are taking care of. Um, it really does make a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Candy. <clears throat> okay, so today, our topic will be kinship programs. So we're featuring experts from a variety of programs across the state that are on a mission to help kinship families thrive. So what we'll do is ask our six experts to introduce themselves, share a little bit of wisdom, and then we will answer your most pressing questions. So if you have questions now, please go ahead and put them in the chat. And if you develop more questions as our experts speak, put those in the chat as well, and we will get to as many of them as we can. So without further ado, let's meet our experts. So first up, we have um, a kinship caregiver, Penny Allen. Penny. Yes, I needed to unmute. Yes. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. All right. Um, I see me on my screen. Is that what I'm supposed to see? Uh, yeah, that's okay. fine. Okay. All right. So um, I am Penny Allen. Um, my husband and I have been married for 34 years and we've raised four adult children who are all currently single and financially independent, but they're still all at home. Uh, we do not have any grandchildren. Uh, the end of April, we brought my niece into our already busy home uh, with six adults, and now we have a teenager, too. I am a teacher at a private school, and my husband unexpectedly retired in 2019 as a supervisor in trucking industry. He works part-time right now. We have never taken another person into our home before, nor did we ever plan to. It just sort of happened, and we both knew it was the right thing to do. So on April 28th, um, my niece was kicked out of her home by her father 
The eviction was supported by her mother and she was 15 years old. She has been working formally in fast food since she was 14. Prior to that, she babysat and did other odd jobs for money. She has paid for many of her own expenses, such as food, um, as ever since she started earning money. She also contributed to family expenses. Shortly after she was evicted, a child line report was filed. We expected child services to show up at our doorstep. Um, and we were concerned about having to meet all the requirements to become foster parents and jump through all the hoops that we would have to do if child services were involved. No one ever showed up at my niece's school or at our home or even at her parents' home. So when we followed up with the report, we found out that they weren't going to do anything about her case. While that may seem like a bad thing, we thought that it was a blessing. So I began researching what, what services were available. And I learned that our situation was considered, considered informal kinship care because a judge did not place her with us and child services weren't involved. That's when I found Kin Connector Pennsylvania online. So that's how I got involved here. Um, so that list left me with a huge list of things to do. The first thing on my list was that my niece needed medical attention for an infected toe. She did not have any medical insurance. Fortunately, the urgent care nurse was able to obtain verbal consent from her mother to treat her. And I was later able to take her to a or podiatrist that I knew who treated her without insurance. A uh, second uh, major thing was that my husband had to transport her 45 minutes to school back and forth three days a week in order to finish her sophomore year uh, at her current school. And the third thing was we had to clear out our, our spare bedroom, our office to give her a bedroom. So the first month, our highest priority was finishing school, getting her settled in a bedroom and treating her, her uh, infected toe. So once school was over for, for both of us, the highest priority was obtaining guardianship. That's when I first contacted Kinship Connector and I spoke with Alex. So he was so kind and helpful and knowledgeable. He explained many of the services provided by Kin Connector. Most of all, he made me feel like I could be a successful kinship provider. He urged me to contact Carissa Phelps for some legal advice. And she answered all my questions, which were a thousand of them, and helped me to develop a game plan. Our plan A was to go the path of least resistance to see if we could get signed and notarized guardianship papers. I learned that where to download the proper paperwork, and I learned that only one parent had to sign, not both. Well, the results were amazing. The mother signed the guardianship papers at the notary, and we didn't have to resort to plan B. Our plan B was to file for emancipation since my niece turned 16 this summer. So thank you so much for this resource because I was able to approach the mother with um, uh, all the answers to her questions and put her at ease so that um, she understood what we were doing and why we were doing this. And so we have an open relationship with the mother and um, not quite as open with the father. The mother and father are still together. They are not married, but they're still together after 20 years. Um, and so it made me confident to know that, um, you know, um, of what I was doing. I was prepared with the papers. I explained to her 
Um, and so that was a very important part. Um, I am very pleased with the guardianship <coughs> arrangement. Uh, we um, ended up getting that only six weeks after she moved in. Um, and uh, even though we were told that the guardianship papers may not be, may not stand up or be accepted by every situation, uh, we found that it was accepted by everything we needed it to be. So we are able to walk through this through what I call the path of least resistance. Um, and, um, and then if things get challenged, our plan B is still to file for emancipation. Uh, she has plenty of grounds to do that. So, but hopefully we won't have to resort to that. But we did make the guardianship uh, expire when she turned 18. So we have this loose arrangement, uh, but it's working for us. But I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that if I hadn't uh, had the opportunity to talk to Carissa Phelps. I really, really appreciate that. Um, and I wouldn't have even known about that if, I, if Alex hadn't have told me. So the next huge step we needed to take was supply for insurance. Um, this is where Alex was extremely helpful. I tried to complete the Compass application on my own, but it was very, very confusing. He was gracious enough to stay on the phone with me and walk me through that entire application. Uh, as a result, she received access temporary insurance um, on July 1st, and then she enrolled in Gateway that was effective August 1st. This was a huge accomplishment because she needed a physical for school and her driver's permit. She needed an eye appointment for glasses. She was supposed to be wearing glasses since she was 10 years old. Um, she needed a pretty extensive dental work. Um, and I was able to, to get all that and, and have her insured. Um, next, we had to withdraw her from her current school and enroll her in the private school where I teach. Uh, we were able to get replacement work permit um, because her current one was lost. The guardianship papers were accepted by both schools. Then we had to take her off her current phone plan because she was paying an exorbitant amount for not only her phone, but several other family members. So the phone bill was automatically deducted from her bank card where she re had received her paychecks. So she, she is now on her own plan under my husband. The next thing we needed to do was get a replacement social security card, which is not easy at all. Uh, but that, that worked, uh, the guardianship papers were accepted there too. Uh, we were able to open a checking and savings account. Again, those guardianship papers were sufficient. Uh, she got a driver's permit and has logged over 40 hours so far. So that's awesome. Uh, she was able to transfer from the fast food place that she worked at to one closer to where we live. Um, but she has since chosen to change jobs for a change of environment and for more money. And the other thing that Alex told us about was the agency on aging and their aid to senior kinship providers. However, after we checked it out, we didn't qualify for any help from them. So our ultimate goal is not adoption, but to be a springboard for her to become independent. Again, if the parents would challenge the guardianship, we would file for emancipation. We are trying to set her up for financial independence by having her claim herself as a, as a dependent. This will be especially useful when she applies for college financial aid. We are also helping her prioritize her finances. She is responsible for her phone bill um, and spending money but she is also saving for a car and insurance, but she's not paying for all of her living expenses like she was before. Um, so that, that's our goal. So what, what, do you, um, 
want to know what you need to know as a kinship provider. Uh, first of all, the most important thing was I'm not alone. Other people have done this before and the resources at Kin Connector are phenomenal. And the one thing to do is ask questions and get those questions answered. So, thank you. Well, Penny, thank you so much for sharing that story. I have to tell you, I did not know that you were going to talk so much about um, Kin Connector and Alex. We really appreciate that. And I will say that, you know, in addition to Kin Connector, every single person on this panel who is working for kinship caregivers and kinship families, you know, really display that same level of dedication and commitment to helping kinship families. I think that's just kind of a characteristic and a trait of all of the people in this space. But again, Penny, thank you so much for sharing that story. It was very inspirational and your niece is so lucky to have you. Thank you. So we're lucky to have her. Yes. Awesome. Uh, so now let's go with Jill Boblick. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, so uh, my history with social work is uh, I have worked as a social worker for approximately 23 years. Um, and within that agency, um, I also supervised and then I actually became a kinship home coordinator, where I was able to work with kinship families and approve them and walk them through the process of becoming um, kinship caregivers. So in June, I had the pleasure of um, transitioning into a new program um, for me, which was the Kin Connector program. So it's been a really neat experience for me. And I've been able to use um, some of my um, experience and um, and expertise in this field to help some of our callers. So um, when Tia Maria asked me if I would be willing to speak today, I was thinking about something that I could share that would help some of our uh, caregivers that call in. So um, one of the things that I think that a caregiver should know is that obviously taking care of a child can be one of the most rewarding experiences of your life, but it can also be one of the most stressful for both you and your family, especially if it's not your own child. Um, whether you are formal or informal, you always will play a vital role in the child's well-being. Um, and um, sometimes we don't realize that removing a child from their parents' home can be extremely traumatic. Um, you may find that everything you do for that child to comfort them and welcome them into your home just simply does not work. Um, you can't understand why they're not thankful to be in your home. Uh, you can't understand why they wouldn't want to be removed from their situation, especially if they come from very horrific circumstances. But a lot of kiddos just want to be with mom and dad no matter what. And it doesn't matter what we do or what we say. We just can't seem to comfort them. So I just wanted to let you know that this is all very normal and natural. And the way that we respond to them um, at times may impact their behavior and uh, will ultimately impact both you and your family. So my advice uh, to you would be to be aware of their triggers. Sometimes it's a food, a movie, places you go, songs that could come on the radio, tones of your voice. That could all be a trigger to a child. Um, identify your strengths and identify their strengths and come together and identify where you need supports to uplift you. Um, have an open line of communication with your caseworker, your therapist, um, your school teachers. Um, and my advice to you would be rely on your supports, take respites when you need them, um, walk away when you have to. Sometimes as parents, we have to walk away from our own kiddos when they're young just to give ourselves some space. And it's okay to 
to walk away when you need to. Um, fill your own cup. Do things for yourself. Do things that are self-soothing to you. Um, if you if you are not taking care of, you're not going to be able to care for the child that is is living with you. And give yourself some grace. Um, not not every day is going to be perfect. And I had a caller um, a couple weeks ago call in, and she just was sobbing and and had such a bad morning with her six-year-old niece. And um, the little girl saw a spider in her car seat and refused to get in the car for school. And she said it was just a horrible morning. And she just couldn't get, get over the fact that she yelled at the child. And I said, give yourself grace. And when she comes home from school, apologize to her and let her know that we all have bad days and it's okay. Um, and, and just remember that this is hard work. Uh, this isn't going to be forever. Sometimes it feels like it's going to be forever, but it's not going to be. So, so you're doing the best that you can, and we appreciate you, and we welcome you guys to call at any time. Um, sometimes we don't have all the answers, um, but sometimes we're willing to just sit and listen to you, and we'll find the answers for you, and we'll walk you through um, whatever your day is and whatever journey you're going through. So, um, you know, lean on us. Uh, King Connectors are really special program. And um, I've enjoyed working with our team and I've enjoyed working with our callers and getting to hear their situations and stories. So um, just thank you. Ooh, Jill, see, you know, you got me all worked up. I forgot to mute myself. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I didn't for this is like I said, our finale. And this is the one where I find myself just from the two people speaking, getting all verklempt, you know, starting to tear up a little bit. All right. So Dolores, I hope you don't make me full out cry. But anyway, our next person is Dolores Cobb-Jones. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have to pause for a minute because uh, both of the um, previous speakers have really touched me. <laughs> so... Um, I am the CEO and founder of Grandparents Involved from the start. Um, I am a former or retired now teacher and school principal. And uh, when I was working, I came across a lot of grandparents uh, at parent conferences, basically for behavior. Um, and I would just uh, look at, uh, we would just discuss their struggles that they were having in raising their grandchildren some uh, voluntarily, some not. Um, so after I retired, um, I came up with a program um, called GIFTS, Grandparents Involved from the Start. And what we do is we support grandparents that are raising their grandchildren between the ages of five and 18 years old with information and resources, and in some cases, financial support. Um, <clears throat> Some of the programs that we offer is every Tuesday, we pass out fresh produce to um, not only grandparents, but anyone that needs it. Uh, we partnered with another organization and we pass out the produce from 11, from 11 to 12 every Tuesday at the, a local neighborhood center in Uptown Harrisburg. That's where we're located. Uh, another thing that we offer is once a month, we have a grandparents information forum on Zoom and we provide um, a topic and we invite an expert. And I'm glad to say that in September, Tia Maria, she um, presented about Kin Connector to our audience and it was a wealth of information. Um, as a matter of fact, Tia Maria, we are 
I'm still getting phone calls because some of the people I invited, they were like, oh, I missed it. And I want to, um, I want to hear more about it. So I'm going to be calling on you again <laughs> for those people that missed it. But um, there's so much information out there that our grandparents are not aware of. Um, another thing we're doing is um, on our board, we have a social worker and she has identified or will be identifying a grandparent of the month here in our community. And what we will do is shower them with um, gift cards and resources and information and possibly transportation. So we're still working that out because we just started that this month. Um, what I would say um, to know as far as a kinship caregiver is to be informed, be involved and be inspired. You know, because it's very hard. This is hard work, um, like someone else mentioned, that you are raising um, a child specifically if it's not your own. So, you know, just always be inspired and, and know that you're not out there alone. Um, and one thing to do is to seek resources. There is so much information out there, and I'm learning this more and more each day. Um, when... Um, I was living at home, my niece, my mother took in my niece. And back then, you know, it wasn't a matter of um, getting legal guardianship. It was like, okay, baby, you're gonna come stay here with me, the granddaughter. And she stayed and um, my mom raised her and it took a village, all of us, to uh, help raise my niece. And, and her and I were talking about that yesterday. And she said, you know, at Nana's, that was my safe place. That was where I could come and be myself. And do everything I wanted to do because my sister wasn't ready. She just wasn't ready without getting into detail. She wasn't ready to be a parent. And my niece had to come somewhere. So she came over to my mom and we all helped her. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, Dolores, I told you not to make me start tearing up, but you did not do that. But anyway, thank you so much for sharing. And I mean, again, I think that, you know, we can all see just how important kinship families are in making a difference in children's lives. And um, the sort of response that we're getting now is, you know, I think why we're all doing this and it's why we all want to help each other to help kinship families. So with that, let's move on to Bobby. Hi, everybody. Um, always a, a pleasure to be here and um, just so love this, this gang from Kin Connector and have enjoyed listening to all of you thus far. And, and um, I just, I just am really grateful to be here. So thank you for, for having me. Um, as um, Tia Maria said, um, my name is Bobby Johnson and I am the CEO and founder of REST, which stands for Resources to Empower, Support and Transform Kinship Families. And I actually have worked for our local Clearfield County Area Agency on Aging for several years. I'm the director of mission advancement there um, and did have a history there originally as a case manager. So I was very familiar with one of the programs that um, somebody had previously mentioned. Um, I believe it was Penny, the caregiver support program, uh, which is available through your agencies on aging. 
And as she also mentioned, um, there are some stipulations with that program, one of which is age-related. You have to be at least 55 um, or older to participate. And while there are no financial eligibility requirements, they do reimburse on a sliding scale. So depending on your income, uh, that can impact how much money you get reimbursed. And I, I found uh, that that was really the only resource um, in our local area for kinship caregivers. And uh, yet in our particular county, almost half of the grandparents are raising their grandchildren. And a neighboring counter county is, is just as high. And um, so on top of that, I actually became a grandparent um, raising my two grandchildren. I took, my husband and I took full custody of them when they were 13 months and four days old. And um, that was quite an adjustment because at the time my youngest was 17. So I had gotten quite used to uh, being out of that mode. And, and it was really tough. And, and I think to um, dovetail off of what Jill shared is we do need to extend grace to ourselves, ourselves and really focus on self-care and cut ourselves some slack because it's not easy. Um, and, you know, we, we walked that journey and we had many experiences that kinship caregivers typically face. And so in light of the fact that there were so little resources, um, I decided to start rest. And so we were established the latter part of 2020 and we became a charitable organization uh, the early part of this year in January. And I already am up to about 20 families um, in a three county region that we're servicing. And I, I keep saying we, but understand it's me. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's becoming quite the challenge. So uh, something's going to have to give there, I think. But um, REST was really built on a kinship navigator model as established um, in you know, federal statute. And so we offer uh, case management. I do intake assessment, um, service coordination, navigation to services, advocacy, education, and um, of course, support groups. So um, we have a kinship support group that meets twice a month, the first and third Monday of every month in uh, Clearfield, Pennsylvania. And um, I'm actually in the process of developing and securing funding for another type of support group, which I'll share about in just a second. But basically our mission, as is everybody's here, is basically to provide whatever support is needed to help every member of a kinship family thrive and um, you know, meet the goals that they, they have set for themselves. Um, and, and in our own experience and in what I'm seeing in the people that we service, um, we know um, there are many challenges, you know, faced by kinship caregivers. And I also know in saying that I'm preaching to the choir, um, but there are so many, sometimes you almost feel like it's whack-a-mole. You know that game where you hit one mole and another one pops up and you hit that one and then you're on to this one. And, and sometimes we can feel like that. Um, but I, I want to echo what Dolores said in the sense of educating ourselves. That would be another a bit of wisdom I would reiterate is we have to, and I really think that's part of self-care as we serve in this role as kinship caregivers is we need to educate ourselves on anything that we can as it pertains to us, how we can better ourselves, how we can take better steps for self-care 
and also what it is our children that we're raising have faced are currently facing and how we can help them navigate that moving forward because we also know statistically that these kids do phenomenally better in our care right as kinship caregivers um but but there are there's so much wrapped up in that so one particular area that um i particularly focus on too is because the other part of my life is i'm a huge family recovery advocate um, we do have custody of our two grandchildren i'm back to having we had shared custody along the way um, recently we are back to having full custody of these children um, because of my daughter's struggles and and so we have tried to learn everything in the realm of family recovery to not only be our daughter's best chance at recovery but to understand how that impacts our grandchildren that we're raising and other children like them and on a broader spectrum what do these types of traumatic events do and what kind of impact can they have and how can we mitigate those circumstances so um I, I do facilitate a family recovery group that meets weekly in Clearfield. And um, we know in our county, and we also know statistically across the United States, that the number one reason why kinship families are formed, not that it can't be other reasons, but it is parental substance use. And in our area, it's also combined with incarceration, which unfortunately in this area, the two tend to go hand in hand. Um, so, so right now, um, when I talk about education, for me specifically, this is something that I focus on, but it could be anything else. You know, it could be maybe you're raising the children because of mom or dad's incarceration. What kind of impact does that have on the kids? What can we do to help mitigate those circumstances? How can you get the support that you need? Um, so in this space of family recovery, it's really for us become, you know, how does substance use disorder impact um, the family. Well, we know that for every one person who struggles with that disease, there's at least 10 other people who are impacted. And that includes their children, um, regardless of their age, because you might say, well, you know, I'll use my own grandkids as an example. They're 13 months and four days old. What could they possibly understand about their mom's substance use? Well, they were exposed in utero. That's a traumatic event. They missed the whole first year, basically. Well, Elena missed the second year of her life with her mom. Chase missed all <laughs> the entire first year, you know, because of in and out of rehabilitation and things like that. Those are traumatic events, um, being separated from her. Um, so it definitely was impacting them, even though they were smaller. Um, and I'll share an example with you just to, just to shed some light on it. My granddaughter at 18 months of age could not stand to see somebody scratch another person's back in our home. If my husband scratched my back, my 18 year old granddaughter threw herself, screamed, and it became apparent that that was a trigger of some kind. And we came to find out that in her earlier months, she had been exposed to domestic violence. She had been exposed to a very um, dark lifestyle um, outside of here. Um, before, you know, we took custody of her and that actually traumatized her. And so, um, you know, getting her involved in play therapy and learning that I never knew that I never knew the trauma could impact somebody that young. So again, I think that speaks to the education piece. Um, and that has taken me down a rabbit hole of really trying to address, 
these what they call adverse childhood experiences in, in children's lives, because unfortunately, many of the children that we are raising as kinship caregivers have in fact experienced trauma. And what does that do to them? What do the statistics say? The statistics say that the more um, experiences of trauma somebody has, the likelihood that risk increases, right? For substance use of their own or other um, mental health issues or suicide. And I know that may sound like doom and gloom, but that's what the data shows us. So what can we do with it? Let's mitigate the circumstances. Let's do what we can. Um, so education is a big part of that. And the other support the group that we're going to um, start doing would be a children's program. It's actually going to be support groups for kiddos um, with parents that struggle with substance use. And it's going to be um, uh, in conjunction with the schools and it'll be age related based on elementary, middle school and high school. And it's an actually curriculum from an organization called the National Association for Children of Addiction. And we're going to couple that with some evidence-based programming um, like strengthening families uh, to bring those families together and specifically focus on those kinship relationships. So that's something we've got coming down the pike. Um, but I would just encourage you all to, um, you know, take that time, give yourself some grace, educate yourself, because all of these things can impact those kiddos, you know, socially, in school, um, and community. And the more educated you are, the more you can advocate for what they really need. So. Thank you for the opportunity today. Uh, thank you, Bobby. And again, thank you for sharing your story as well as all of the resources that you have. I just, you must not sleep based on all of the things that you have going on. This is um, just incredible. So thank you. Okay, so our next expert is Matt Kaplan from Penn State. Well, hello everyone. Uh, so glad to be here, uh, privileged to be amongst uh, all of the heroes of uh, the kinship care uh, system. So thanks for inviting me. Um, I did bring some PowerPoint uh, slides along. Uh, I promise not to uh, give you any DBPP, we call it uh, in the university lingo, lingo, death by PowerPoint. So I'm not gonna show a lot of PowerPoint slides. But just want to uh, share some of the resources that we have. Just briefly about myself, um, I am on the faculty, which means that uh, uh, in my area of intergenerational studies, I have a foot into research and application. And in the application context uh, for kinship care support, I'm a member of the Penn State Extension Relatives as Parents program. So uh, about 20 years ago, we got a grant. Uh, from the Brookdale Foundation's Relatives as Parents Program, working with Melinda Perez-Porter and others. She's the, the head of that area of the foundation. Um, and at the time, there were so few resources and supports, so different than what it is today. There was no kin connector. Uh, there were lots of meetings and so on, but in terms of uh, the need, uh, so, many, so many ways to fall through the cracks without support and information. So. Um, it's, uh, it's really wonderful uh, to see uh, that the landscape is changing and uh, with Kin Connectors uh, Network and the mosaic of resource supports out there, it's just really phenomenal. All right, so very briefly, um, let's see, where am I? Oh, so just an overview of some of the uh, resources that we offer at Penn State. 
Um, so we, we have the RAP, but the RAP is also part of a larger context of what we call the Penn State Intergenerational Program, which has a lot of uh, information and uh, uh, demonstration programs and models and resources uh, more broadly uh, for intergenerational um, engagement programs, not only with families, but also in communities. So a lot of those resources, especially with families, family strengths and so on, apply here as well. Okay, so the uh, Relatives as Parents program, uh, just very briefly, here's an overview of uh, the different realms of support we offer. Uh, one is the, uh, our, the Navigator website, um, and I have a slide on that coming, but uh, in general, it's a, a database online, uh, county by county. Uh, people can uh, click on it on their county and see uh, some of the resource support and groups that are out there. Um, oh, thank you, dear Maria, you're, you're good at this. <laughs> okay, so, um, right, so here's a, here's a flyer we developed a while ago, um, just to show the diversity of families and, uh, um, and the type of resources. Uh, if you are, start a program or you're part of a program, and let's say it's not in our database, uh, we have like a two minute submit your program into it. So it's really interactive and uh, it's meant to be for people uh, as well as for leaders uh, in the field. Um, we try to make that as a resource. Um, so let's keep going. Next slide, please. All right, so um, I think uh, one, one of the biggest issues uh, in, my, in my experience uh, in this area is that uh, Yes, there are many challenges uh, that kinship families face. Um, and there are some of that, many of them are unique, but um, all families basically have challenges related to communication. Uh, so communication is key. Um, and as we work in all of our programs at the university and with extension, uh, we support ways to uh, keep communication open uh, um, basically to help people form and fortify families and family identity. So um, in the kinship care area, so in many cases, including we've heard a few, where the child uh, is all of a sudden there, <laughs> there's no notice, there's no instruction book. Um, so there are different ways to, to find excuses uh, to have activities, to have people be together, to talk, um, and to, um, to build trust and develop new family um, uh, routines and traditions. So here, it's, as you see, it's multimedia. Sometimes it's exploration, sometimes it's play. It could be music, dance, uh, yoga, martial arts, gardening. So I know many uh, families say might feel like all families would feel they don't have a lot of time. But uh, when a spark or an idea or a piece of curiosity comes up in conversation, uh, we advise to sort of uh, take advantage of that as a way to, to build that communication and relationship. Next slide, please. Okay, one more, keep going. Right, so, um, so we have uh, lots of materials on building on, on, on activity ideas like icebreakers that could be done with family members. Uh, they could also be done uh, with groups of people in school settings, uh, after school programs, 4Y, 4H uh, program, uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. 
So these are fun. These are fun little activities. Sometimes you could squeeze it in uh, during mealtime. Um, and we describe these. Much of our resources we just we give away. It's all on our website. And we have that uh, the web uh, address uh, for you. Um, so we'll go to the next slide. Um, right. So one uh, one activity which uh, which people seem to really love and have fun with, and we do it at Ag Progress Days. Uh, it's a game, the stump your relative game. So um, generally, we'd have families come to the exhibit, and we'd have two boxes, two bins. One is filled with uh, items that young people tend to really know about uh, and be expert in. And the other one are items from uh, yesteryear that older adults would tend to have more knowledge and experience with. And then they take turns stumping each other. Um, it's kind of fun. It's a competition, but yet one of love and, and sharing lifestyles and telling stories and so on. Uh, this is an old one. You could tell uh, Janet Jackson, <laughs> And uh, Pokemon on the bottom left, they were new at the time that we developed this, uh, this particular box. But now I guess people would have uh, different items, including uh, digitized items and so on. Um, but at any rate, uh, and again, we have this on our website, we give it away, we send, we send hard copy for those that would like these uh, fact sheets. And uh, uh, next sheet, next page, please. Okay. Oh, anyway, so that those are that my. Your, sorry, that was your last um, slide. Oh, great, great. Um, so I would just uh, conclude in just saying that uh, at this point, it's almost an embarrassment of riches in terms of the amount of people and groups and organizations that really have wherewithal uh, in terms of advising on some of the hardest issues, which is how to get proper legal representation. Um, and also emotional support, uh, support groups. We're, we love support groups and um, that uh, people, it's not only getting advice from experts, but uh, from families that have been through it and, and gone through some of the challenges and figured things out. Uh, we also do uh, monthly um, kinship uh, uh, for family forums. Uh, we're planning some kinship family retreats uh, in terms of uh, one day or weekend uh, um, getaway camps, uh, short-term ones, and we're working with some of the people on this call actually to plan some of these in different regions in the spring. So uh, that, that information is forthcoming. But the goal of a retreat is really kind of cool and uh, that some people don't come as a human services number, case number. It's basically a chance to be a family and do things together and find new ideas for things, uh, little traditions and fun activities you can do together. Uh, we're planning um, we're planning a, a series of fact sheets on uh, kinship uh, on family bonding, and we call it uh, uh, grandparenting style, family bonding, grandparenting style. So ideas for ways to uh, do meals together, uh, do exercise together, uh, share stories, develop new traditions, and so on. So we're, we're part of the mosaic. We, we really are happy uh, to be uh, amongst many organizations and groups that do this kind of work. Uh, please take a little bit of time and take a look at some of our uh, resources. Um, we do have that on, uh, uh, we, we could give you access to that. I thought I had a couple more slides, but I think we, uh, we covered it. Okay, thank you. 
Uh, thank you, Matt. That was terrific. And uh, a lot of your activities remind me of things that I did uh, with my great grandmother who raised me. And I will surely be dating myself when I say that, like we used to exercise to Jack LaLanne. I think he was like the first person who did exercises on TV. So I remember so fondly doing that with my grandmother. So I, I love these activities that you have suggested for families to do together and to bond. So thank you for that. All right, so our final expert is Deborah Willett. Hi everyone. Thank you, Tamari. I love being on these. Um, I learn so much more, I think, than I actually share um, from everyone. It's just, it's amazing. I think this is such a fantastic network. Um, like Tamari said, I'm Debbie Willett. I am a single mom of 13 children. My oldest is my biological. I have um, 11, 11 adopted and I am in the process of adopting um, one more. Um, I have been a kinship family for 12 years this month. I was called by uh, Texas Child Protective Services uh, to come get my 22 month old granddaughter in Texas. Um, and when she was, I went, flew down, brought her back my first introduction to kinship family at all. Didn't even know it was a formal name. Didn't know anything about it. But fortunately at that point, um, I was working for a, a nonprofit a mental health provider for children and our county had a system of care advisory meeting. And because of my children being adopted, I was keeping track just on my own of some of the children I was working with families who had um, a child in the juvenile um, justice system. And I noticed a large percentage of the children were either adopted or were living with a relative. And at that point, um, the director of our human services at the time said, we need to get some supports in place for these families. And Chester County began their first grand family support group at that time. Um, it was a collaboration between children and youth, um, the Department of Aging, mental health, and then child and family focus that I worked with. Um, I, uh, four years ago, branched off and started a group in another city in our county um, where we were asked, said, there's a need here. And we've been going strong ever since. Two and a half years ago, I had a call about a non, a grant from a grandmother asking for help with her 14 month old grandson. Long story short, he's been with me for two and a half years. Um, I now am in the process of adoption. Um, his biological mother has since passed and dad has not seen him in over a year and a half. Um, I am the program coordinator for Grand Family Connections of Chester County. We offer several services. We, we run a monthly support group. We were doing twice a month before COVID hit. We have a church in our area who has designated three rooms specifically for us to use. We have one for the adults, one for the children. And then a week before COVID hit, we opened a preschool room and we were only in there once. Um, we then went virtual and we've had families from out of state as far as Texas joining our virtual meetings. Last spring, we decided to meet in person outside. We've continued to do that. We're deciding on come November when it's too cold to be outside, what the uh, families, that what their comfort level is in meeting. We base all of our activities, our speakers and all, all on what 
the families want to hear. Um, we provide information and referral to local supports and resources by myself and we're hopefully getting a new um, peer support to come on board to help with some of this. Um, at our support groups, we offer a meal and we have childcare. Um, our childcare, we try to sometimes get a speaker to come in. And when Bobby was mentioning about her new support group for the children of parents suffering from substance abuse, uh, this has been a need we found in that we can find people to come in and speak to the children on prevention. But these kids who have lived in these families before they've come to live with us or even while they're with us and still have contact with the family, they don't want to hear that. They say, we know all about that. We have heard that so much. We're living it. And that what they need is they need, how do we cope? How do we still, it's okay to love our parents and, but not do what they're doing in their lifestyle. And, and I think, Bobby, I commend you. I need to talk to you later, see how you're, what you're doing. Because that was one of the things And I said, we learned so much from each other here, but that is a huge need for these children. Um, we also provide, we have a service provider network where we meet quarterly and we invite in our county, we invite our um, nonprofits, our county agencies, the faith-based community, the schools to attend a meeting where we help, we share the unique needs of grand families. Sometimes people think, oh, they're just like a foster family. They are totally different. The needs are different. The emotional connections are so different. At our first meeting, we had a speaker come in speak. We opened it up for questions and, and if they had any situations and we had dead silence. <laughs> My co-facilitator and I looked at him like, they have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> so we kind of changed our presentations and we brought people in sharing about different things that are unique to these families. Another thing we've just recently started, we've had two is we, there's a, I always get the name mixed up. I think it's the National, Parent, National Family Support Technical Assistance Center has recently released a report that, especially for facilitators, that are peer facilitators, that they are living the experience that they are helping to support the um, support group for, are in need of support for ourselves. We are reliving a lot of the stories. We're hearing them from things that are similar to our experience, but we also need support in what do our families need and what. And so it's been six months ago, I think it was in March, we had our first meeting. We had one last week. And we, I think we would, our attendance would have been better the last time, except there was a mess up in the link getting on. But we got as many facilitators from the state of Pennsylvania on this Zoom. The first one, we just introduced ourselves. And this last one, we talked about how is your support group going since COVID? You know, has your attendance increased, decreased, stayed the same? What are their goals and what are they're looking forward to for the future? Um, one more thing that we've done is we have partnered with our county jail to be a resource for their families. We found that um, I think it's somewhere like 90% of um, people in jail are parents. And when asked, um, when the men are asked, who's taking care of your children? The response is the mom. When the mom is asked who's taking care of your children, the response is always the grandmother or the aunt. It's very seldom the dad, there's more. So we connected with our um, prison and said, you know, we wanna be a resource for these 
people when it's not the other parent who are raising these children. We also had a women's reentry program contact us because their goal is to reunite the children with their mothers when they return from prison. And they have someone else raising the children while the moms are incarcerated. So these are slow getting off the ground, but they're connections that we've made. Um, one thing I feel grand, uh, kinship families need to know, this is going to be one of the hardest things you have ever done. It's everyone I've heard have mentioned things. It is one of the hardest things. And a lot of it is because your heart's involved. When it's a kinship, you're dealing with your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your brother, whoever is the parent of the children you're raising with, your heart is still connected to them. And it is extremely hard. It changes the dynamics in your family. Um, when I got my granddaughter from Texas, my older son, he says, mom, you are enabling her. You're allowing her to live the lifestyle she wants because now she doesn't have to care for her daughter. You know, so you go back and forth and back and forth. And now, I mean, he is, he's designated in, as a guardian if anything happens to me before she turns 18. He said, she's not going anywhere. She's coming to me. So, I mean, it, they grow on them, but it is, it's a total change in your family dynamics. Um, and it requires a lot of energy something that we don't have as much of when we were younger. When I first got my little guy, he was 14 months old. He was having between visits with the dad, visit with the grandma, um, speech, occupational therapy. And then he either saw the caseworker, the guardian would light him. He was having like 20 appointments a month. And when I first got him, I wasn't working. Three months later, I was working and I'm like, this is crazy. I, my whole life was in and out of the car, getting him to and from appointments. So you lose sleep. You don't have the energy you used to have, you know, before. Um, and I think the one thing caregivers should do is connect with other caregivers. If there isn't a support group in your area, check with the pediatrician, check with local preschools, um, check out even mom mom's groups. Um, sometimes there have been grandparents that show up at these mom groups because they need something. They need some kind of support. They may not relate well to the 20 and 30 year old moms, but they're looking for some support. And you don't have to have, if you're in an area where there's no support group, you don't have to have five, 10, 15 people to attend a support group. Find one or two people, meet for coffee, meet at the park and let the kids play. Just talk with them. And word of mouth is the best way to get people to know about your group. Um, it doesn't have to be a formal group. I mean, it helps, but just connect with someone else that will understand the shoes that you're walking in. And that's it, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Okay, I, you know, we've, we've met before and talked. I did not realize that you have 11 children. How are you here? 13. <laughs> Or 13. How are you here? That's 13 children. I, I don't even know how you managed to do. I'm so impressed with everyone and, and your story. And, and thank you for sharing um, all of the information um, about what your organization does and the support group. So just really overwhelming. So now we have come to the Q&A portion of the meeting. So I will start with the first question and then Candy will field questions from the audience. So my first question is for Penny. 
So Penny, this question is, in your journey as a kinship caregiver, which organizations were most helpful to you and how and why were they most helpful? All right. Um, the first thing was uh, being able to connect with Carissa Phelps um, and through the Kinship Connect um, and talk to her uh, freely about all the questions because that set up our game plan. Um, we wanted to go the path of least resistance and we were pretty sure that we didn't want to do the adoption. Uh, so by um, by uh, educating us about what guardianship meant, what the advantages, disadvantages were, um, and um, also, um, you know, finding out our plan B about emancipation, there's a bazillion questions about that. So that gave me the confidence to go forward. And, you know, once we got the guardianship, we have the agreement with the parents and everything, we've been able to accomplish everything we needed to do. So that was my, my um, that was probably the most overwhelming thing is, is, you know, how do I, how do I have the authority to care for her? So I would say that was the first thing. The second thing was definitely the Compass website. And uh, when, when Alex um, talked me through that, that was so incredibly overwhelming. All the questions, we had to provide information for each one of our adult children and what their work situation was and their finances and, and things. Um, but um, the highest uh, need was my niece needed um, insurance. And um, we, with my husband being retired, we know how how expensive private insurance is. And the fact that she qualified, you know, for uh, the, the insurance was a huge weight off of our shoulders. And, you know, she came in April, by July 1st, she was insured. And then um, by August 1st, she had Gateway. And we were able to take care of all of her medical needs that went un unmet for many years before school even started in August. So that was a huge, that was a huge thing. And then it was nice to, to talk to the agency on aging, but uh, we qualified age-wise, my husband being retired, but we had too much. Um, we didn't qualify for anything financially because we have four adult children working full-time at home. So, you know, we were grateful for what we had, but those were what helped me most. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Penny. I, you know, I think an important thing that you're pointing out is, you know, we have a mixture of sort of people representing private organizations as well as organizations that are funded by the government. But the government's federal state really does play an important role in helping these informal kinship families meet the needs of their children. So I do think that's, you know, an important thing to point out. So Candy, um, do we have a question from the audience? Yes, I have one from Linda. She says, hi, I am a grandmother raising three of my grandbabies. I am from Somerset County and would love to know how to get in touch with the support group in my county. Are any of you, do do any of you guys service um, Somerset? Because I don't know like what the geography you cover for your support groups. Now, Kin Connector covers virtually um, the entire state, but um, did she indicate if she wanted to do it in person or what was she asking? Uh, she did not indicate. Okay, so Deborah or, um, 
Bobby, where do your, where do you, what, what's the geography for your support groups? I do um, Chester County, but we have had people from other local counties like Lancaster County um, attend occasionally um, when it's convenient. Um, if someone isn't aware of a support group in um, Somerset, you could also contact their Department of Aging and they may be able to have an idea of a group or something. Yeah, we, and so we we have that too. So I don't know if, because I can't do it right now, but if we could go to our website and see if there is a Somerset um, support group available, but we can follow up with you and get you connected to, you know, if you want to do one live, the closest that's um, available, if there isn't one directly in Somerset. Yeah, she mentioned, uh, she actually did follow up with virtual, so um, there are definitely ones that are available uh, virtually um, from various locations, including Pin Connector, and then we can also um, follow up with her with the Pin Connector and see exactly what's available in her county. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you. All right, so the next question is for um, Dolores. So Dolores, do you only service grandparents? That's, you kind of have two questions. So the first is, do you only service grandparents? And then the second is, what can people do to support your organization? Um, in answer to the first question, no, we do not. We um, service parents and legal guardians. And the reason why I said legal guardians is because of the whole guardianship piece. So we want to make sure that we fall within the law as far as supporting um, an adult that is taking care of children. Um, so we pretty much open everything up. Although our main focus is grandparents, we open up the information and the resources and the support to uh, parents and legal guardians. Um, with reference to the second question, how can you support my organization? As a nonprofit, uh, funding can become challenging. Um, so what I often tell people is, you know, um, if you cannot volunteer your time, um, if you can just make a donation, um, no matter what the size, we accept $5 up and up, or even a dollar, whatever you have. Um, I was at an outdoor event this summer and, um, and we had an informational table. And that's a good way to get the word out about your organization too. Um, at some of these outdoor festivals um, over the summer, um, we had an informational table and a lady came up to me and she said, I just wanna make a donation to your organization. And you know, I didn't question. <laughs> she uh, wrote a check and um, I accepted it. And, and it basically helps um, us to sustain um, our program. You know, because we give out a lot of um, um, gift cards and, and prizes and things for not only the grandparents, but the grandchildren as well. So um, we take monetary donations and we also take um, um, other forms of donations, like maybe toys or clothing or things like that. So those are the ways that you can help my particular organization. Thank you. Thank you, Dolores. And you know what? I will actually open up that question to um, Deb and Bobby as well. How can people support your organizations? 
Um, I'll jump in there, uh, T. Maria, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, the same um, as Dolores says, um, we are a charitable organization and 100% um, of the money uh, at this point is going directly to kinship families. So, you know, I don't take a piece of it. I still work full time. Um, and the whole idea is, is to support them in any way we can. And, and sometimes just as, uh, again, to echo Dolores is that, you know, sometimes it's about providing for needs, you know, furniture has been a huge need for us, beds, um, dressers, things like that. Um, but also just financial help if we can through gift cards or, you know, paying daycare for somebody um, and things of that nature. So yeah, every, every dollar helps. And um, we, I actually, we have a website that's uh, called restfamilies.org and folks can go on there and they can give directly online. Um, and the address is also there that people could actually just, you know, write a check or however they choose to give, but um, that's pretty much how it works for us. Okay, great, thank you. Tab, what about your organization? Um, I would second everything that they've already said, but sometimes we have some um, needs that are unique. Um, if somebody is a car mechanic, we have grandparents whose cars break down, cannot afford to have the cars repaired. Um, we have, in our area, we've had two flooding incidences within from June to September. Um, donations of electricians helping with buildings, you know, who the electric has been affected by the flooding. Um, furniture, we've had families call and say, I've just had my five grandkids dropped off on my doorsteps. You know, I think what's hard is accepting, we cannot accept like furniture and clothing because we have no place to store the stuff. So we usually wait to the last minute when somebody says, I got this need, we put it out on social media and then get this stuff and give it directly to them. Um, having someone pay for a storage unit or something would be great to be able to have the stuff on hand. Um, but even helping sometimes with childcare at our meetings, if our childcare worker is sick, having somebody in ba a backup who's already have their clearances and is willing to step in an emergency. There's a lot of little nuances that even if they wanna help provide part of the meal for at our, at our support group meeting, it can be a lot of different little things. Okay, terrific, thank you. Uh, and Matt, what about your organization? How can people support um, yours? That's an interesting question. Um, we spend so much of our uh, energy and time figuring out ways to support other organizations. So um, <laughs> um, actually a part of uh, Penn State Extension, I mean, a lot of people think the university is just one place in the middle of Pennsylvania. That's true, we are the land, Penn State University is the land grant uh, university, but we have over 20 Commonwealth campuses. And with Penn State Extension, we have offices in every county so there are all sorts of uh, programs that we offer, training programs. Uh, one of the other teams in Extension, not the relatives as parents one, but uh, Leadership and Community Vitality, they offer workshops on writing grant proposals. So they, where they actually train nonprofits to receive funding. Uh, so that said, we do have, for those uh, funders that are interested in building infrastructure, um, for new service delivery systems and new research, uh, we do have an endowment that was set up 
uh, for doing intergenerational work. Um, but I, I think for purposes of this call, the I'd like to emphasize what we do for smaller organizations and nonprofits. Okay, thanks, Thank Matt. You. All right, um, Candy, what's our next question from the audience? We actually really don't have any questions right now from the audience. Um, we basically just the support group, how to get con in contact, the one from Somerset and also Tioga County um, and virtual is okay with them. And we will follow up with them on, on that as well. Um, but right now there are no additional questions. Okay, well, I have um, a couple more that I could go through. So the next one is for Bobby. And Bobby, this one is near and dear to my heart because as I mentioned, I was raised by my great-grandmother um, from the time I was six. But then when I turned 15, she suffered from a stroke and then I actually became her caregiver because she, you know, she wasn't able to take care of herself. So from the time I was 15 until I was, you know, in my 20s, I took care of her until she passed away. So I'm wondering that this question is saying, does kinship care also include adults who are taking care of their caregivers? Is that also considered kinship care? And what kinds of services are available for those people? Um, so, I mean, I think the terminology kinship care generally is recognized, um, to, to mean the care of children by relatives, um, or close family friends like fictive kin. Um, so I don't know that that terminology necessarily, you know, it tends to get, get associated in that narrow understanding. Right. But I mean, I guess technically it is kinship, but you know, in the term, in, in the realm of aging, we tend to just refer to those folks as family caregivers. And um, it happens a lot. And that is just, that is just when you just shared that little bit about your story without even sharing any details. I mean, that is just so much, all of this is such a work of the heart and um, just so dear. Um, because it is a prime example of people stepping out of themselves and, and having that, that selfless love for somebody else. It's just a beautiful thing. But, um, but I would say we would just consider them family caregivers. And the program that I spoke about earlier, the caregiver support program, that is a federally funded program that funnels down through the states. And of course, in Pennsylvania, that then trickles out to the area agencies on aging. So whichever agency on aging handles your county, if you are a caregiver 55 or older, um, that caregiver program actually helps support not just, there are three niches basically in that. So there is one for grandparents raising grandchildren or kinship caregivers in the traditional sense of the term, but there are also two other um, routes of support. And one would be for anyone uh, caring for someone with dementia or caring for somebody with a disability. And so that's defined fairly broadly. Um, as I said, the age requirement is 55 or older to as the caregiver, right? So that wouldn't have necessarily served you in that capacity, unfortunately. Um, but we see a big push. There, there are advisory councils. Um, RAISE is one of them at the federal level. Um, that recently just gave a report to Congress on 
um, some recommendations for supporting caregivers. Um, but one special niche, and if I could just take the, the time to explain this is, you know, we know that the majority of kinship caregivers in the United States today are actually under the age of 60. You know, in our local area, and even with the people that I service, the average age is like early 60s, right? But generally speaking, they're under 60. So what does that mean? I mean, in terms of their family life, they could still have children of their own at home, and they could very well possibly be having to care for an elderly parent. Um, when that happens, and that's that special niche, we actually call them sandwich caretakers because they're stuck in the middle. And I actually have one of those right now, um, a client family uh, who is um, mom or the grandparents are early 50s. They've taken in their three-year-old grandson that they're responsible for raising. And the woman's um, elderly mother with early dementia is living with them as well. So in those situations, it is vital. And believe me, it was like pulling teeth to get them to get the help that you, clearly they, you could see they needed, um, but they have conceded. So we now got them a referral through the Agency on Aging um, to get some, even some basic supports in the home to help with, with uh, the elderly mom, you know, because that, that's, a, that's just a special, special situation. They need all the support they can get. So sandwich caregivers, that's the term. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, um, Deb, this question is for you. So I don't live where your program is. Can I still participate in your groups and activities? And, you know, what kind of help can you offer me? Um, when we are meeting virtually, um, like I said before, we had people from several different states attend. Um, if anyone wants to travel, <laughs> you're more than welcome to, you know, travel the distance to um, any of our activities that we have outdoors. Um, and a lot of times I do get calls from other people. Um, they'll see it like I'm on a lot of the um, kinship grand family groups on Facebook and they'll see something that I posted about our group and they'll contact me and they'll say, you know, where can I find help here? And some of them have been out of state and I just, on my computer, I have a list of um, resources, um, the grandfamilies.org, their state sheets and everything to help them find support and services in their area. Um, you know, we're, we're open to anybody if they want to attend, that's, that's fine. Okay, great. We love to hear that you're inclusive. <laughs> okay, so Matt, this question is for you. Um, will you be offering any new services or programs in the future that you want to highlight? And then how can I find out about, how can I find out more about them and just kind of stay in the loop with what you're doing? All right. Um, well, we, we do offer a steady stream of workshops, special events, uh, written resources as well. So um, I'd say the landing page on our Penn State Extension Relatives as Parents program is a good page to check every now and then. So I'll put that into the chat box um, so that people can check that out. And then I would also say more broadly uh, to look at Penn State Extension. Um, so we have a, a large team within food, families, and health where our relatives as parents program fits. 
Um, and uh, the five people on our RAP team, Relatives as Parents program team, they all run other types of programs too and provide services uh, in areas that um, grand families uh, also need to know about. So for instance, um, Cynthia Pollock, she does uh, mental health first aid type programs. And Jackie uh, Amor Zitzelberg, she does better kid care. Rosalia uh, Horvath, who I think is on this call, she works with the Alzheimer's Association and does uh, education awareness about Al Alzheimer's. Um, and Darlene Sansone uh, in Lawrence County does a lot of support group kind of work. And we even train people who want to set up kinship care support groups. So uh, there are many ways to find out. Of course, online is one way, but um, you know, you could all people know their extension educator offices. They uh, they're in the neighborhood. They're, they're neighbors. You can knock on the door and visit and talk to somebody and just find out what what is being offered or what what resources are out here. So um, so I think um, we're strong on technology, but uh, we try to also do the the uh, person to person relationship building. And in that case, we try to also convey the resources that you have. Because uh, no one organization or agency can meet all of the needs. I mean, this field, I mean, people really have needs. So we're working together. Um, we're kind of like a family of organizations. So uh, that's how I look at it. And that's my, uh, that's my story and I stick to it. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Matt. Okay. So um, this has been terrific. So now we're just going to wrap up and I'll just go through the panel for any closing thoughts that you might have for our audience. So Penny, I'll start with you. What closing thought do you have to share? I just want to um, thank you for the opportunity to share. We're um, sort of not really um, associated with any organization. We're just um, one of the people in the crowd just stepped up. So I, I am so grateful for all that you do because it made our journey very easy. You know, it really did. And, um, you know, I just thank you very much for everything. Thank you so much for being here. We, we've really learned a lot from your story. Um, Jill, what are your closing thoughts? So my closing uh, statement would be to love on these kiddos while you have them. Um, I will always remember a court hearing that I sat through with Judge Cherry of Dauphin County, and he said, it is not enough for a child to be loved, but they must know that they are loved. And so that's really stuck with me for many, many years. And um, you know, this is hard and, and these days are really hard and long, but, um, love on these kids. It's so important. And you're such a vital role in their life. So thank you. Thank you, Jill. That's beautiful. I'm going to definitely, I'm going to have to use that quote in something. Um, Dolores, what are your closing thoughts? I would just like to thank you for, um, inviting us to be a part of this organization. I am learning so much. And I just want to say that um, just continue to, those of you that are raising your grandchildren, just continue to be there because you were chosen for a reason. And that reason is to help develop and nurture those grandchildren so that they will become um, the adults that you want them to be. So just continue to be there for them and support them 
And uh, thank you so much for all of the information that um, we are sharing today. Thank you, Dolores. And it, it was a pleasure meeting you and I look forward to doing more stuff with you. Uh, so Bobby, what are your closing thoughts? Um, twofold. First of all, this was awesome. Learned a lot. Love to see everything everybody's doing. And, and to dovetail off of that, just to remind everybody on this panel, on this call, the kinship caregivers are superheroes. I always refer to them that way. Um, but to remind us all that even superheroes have sidekicks and I've used that in presentations before. <laughs> and we, that's because we need support and we can't do it all. And whatever that support is, you need to get it um, because you definitely are a superhero. Um, in a lot of people's eyes, mainly those kiddos. So hang in there. Awesome. Thank you, Bobby. I love that idea. So I'm a big Marvel Comics fan, so I certainly understand sidekicks. I'm going to have to use that too. Okay, uh, Matt, what are your closing thoughts? Um, thank you. So um, yeah, several people have mentioned support groups. Um, I looked at our um, our Navigator site for uh, Tioga and Somerset counties. And I did not see any uh, support groups that are listed. That doesn't mean they're not there. Uh, many are based in a church or a non or a nonprofit group that's not uh, doesn't have a 501c3, doesn't even have a web page. So how do we find these things? And when we do, how do we help other people find them? Um, so uh, being that support groups are so important, I think the coin of the realm of this kind of work. Uh, I think. Uh, the question is how can we support new support groups or actually better yet find like the Deborah's and the Bobby's like 25 years ago when they were dealing with issues or 20 years ago. And um, how do we help someone who's gaining wherewithal and wants to share it, but cannot do it alone? So that, that's really key. So that's why we're on our docket of things to do are, are workshops for people that want to do, set up support groups. Uh, it's very hard to do it, and it is kind of selfless work in a way. But on the other hand, there are many rewards uh, that come with uh, helping people in profound ways. So um, yeah, we're happy to help as well. I'll put my email uh, into the chat as well. We put our webpage. Um, anyway, rate, so I think support groups, what can we do to build more support groups, even informal groups and train people in how to do it, even how to title them, you know, how to, where do you locate them in a place that's neutral, like a library or a museum. So there are some places that some people don't feel comfortable going to. And also how do you uh, take advantage of experts uh, who know about legal and family, uh, you know, behavioral issues, nutrition issues, you could have them be a speaker you have a one hour session, 15 minute with a professional speaker and, and also a meal, some, some uh, caregiving help, maybe with uh, 4-H uh, and other organizations that help with childcare during meetings. Um, so there, there are many ways to get support to do support groups. And I really zero in on that because I think that makes a difference. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. So if anyone in the audience is looking to start a support group, you can contact Matt. All right. So let's wrap it up with Deborah. What are your closing thoughts? I would just encourage everyone to reach out to their, either their county commissioners or their state representatives and share your story with them. Um, 
a lot of times we think, oh, I'm just one person, you know, they're not going to listen to me, but you don't know how many other stories they may have already heard from other people in the same situation. And that's how momentum gets built. Um, we're talking to one of our representatives for um, Chad only TANF that all of a sudden they're, they're um, improving and changing and you just never know, get the word out there. It's, it is, I mean, it was a buzzword before grand families, and we just need to keep it in front of their eyes and ears. Um, let them know what we're going through, where our struggles are, where we need support. Um, don't be afraid. If you can't talk to them in person, send them a letter. Um, and you can go, you can Google who all your representatives are and send them all the same letter. Um, it just, they just need to hear our stories. Great. All right. Thank you so much, Deborah. That was great information. So um, now we're at the conclusion of the meeting, and I, I want to thank all of our experts for so graciously sharing their knowledge and their insights with us. I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but this really has been my favorite session. It's been so informative, and it also focuses on what I personally believe is so strong, is so important, and that is the personal stories. We're not, you know, numbers and just statistics. We're human beings with a real story and the emotions and, you know, the, the challenges, but, and the love and all of that. I mean, I think we've heard that in spades in this meeting and that's so important to me. So again, I thank all of you for, for sharing your wisdom and your stories. And of course, I want to thank the kinship families who have attended today's session. It's our hope that this meeting has helped ease your worries and made you feel better equipped to meet the needs of the children in your care. That's that's really what this has, all of these Wednesday wisdoms have been about helping you to care for your children as well as yourself. Now, for those of you who haven't been able to write everything down, no worries, a video of this session will be posted on our website, kinconnector.org in about 24 hours. Candy is super fast at getting it up. And then we are actually going to compile all of the information across all five weeks into a document. It'll, it'll take us a little bit of time to do it because we have to listen to everything, but we're going to compile that and we will email that document to everyone who's attended the meetings as well as our um, experts. So you'll have that as a resource for yourselves. And then we'll also put that on the website too. So again, I just want to thank everybody for coming. This has been such a wonderful um, event for us, and we are super excited for you to join us next year in September 2022. So thank you and have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you too, Maria. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Mia. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.